Uh, my wife rebuked me appropriately because on my phone app, I actually downloaded um, a timer that clicks off the number of days until I am beyond 70. And, um, and so uh, that's sort of morbid, you know, uh, in many ways. And I, I agree with her. Um, but I know that God's word and Pastor Chris reminded us just a few months ago that counting our days and more importantly, investing our days is most important. Tammy read to me yesterday the last posting we've received from Pastor Chris and Lindsay and the family. He preached. He taught on prayer. He reminded us that we're the body of Christ. He reminded us that it is essential for us to come together and to pray, to be family. And we are grateful. The journey that he is on is maybe different than the one that you're on. And the one that you may be on in the next turn of the calendar. We're all somewhere in a journey. The question is, will we in that journey come to know Christ in a different way, in a deeper way? I find, you know, it's interesting that some of the novelties or the things that we experience in life come very suddenly. So Tammy is... She leads a Bible study down in, at Grace Church where we are in the Powell area of Ohio. And she comes home with this. It's a fascinating book. The Newsom Family History. Right there it is. It's bound. It is, it is bound. And, and I, when she handed it to me, and I'm, she said, don't we have a copy of this? And I'm not sure if we do or not, but we do now. And, of course, you know what I'm looking for. I, I'm looking for the identification of my family that I can even say, that's my family. And so here it is, right here on page uh, 41, that Harry E. Newsom, um, Reverend Harry E. Newsom, by the way, my grandfather, is part of, obviously, this um, listing of that. And through my grandfather, Harry, and, and my grandmother, there was Helen Lucille, Aunt Lucille to me, and um, Mary, Aunt Mary to me, and Buell, that's a unique name, Uncle Buell. And um, there is a Claude... Frederick, that was my father's name, and I'm grateful that I got the part of Frederick that's Rick and not Claude. <laughs> now, if you knew the news in history, we came from um, England, and we go back probably to the Huguenots, and uh, we came, as many did, to come to where they could worship freely the living God. And that goes way, way back. And then there's Paul Harding, and this is interesting information, but my uncle Paul gave his life in World War II in the Philippines. In fact, my three uncles went to war, and obviously Paul 
went to heaven. And the reality is the other two brothers, but my father, there was a unique thing that happened. He had an x-ray as he was about to be taken into the military, and it had some kind of spot on his lung. And he disqualified. It was disqualified. I often wonder, was that God sparing his life? But we know it was certainly a momental day for him, a day of understanding something of God's grace, perhaps, as you look back. Or maybe he lived with shame, as many did, who didn't go. And then finally, uh, my Aunt Novella. I never could say that word. Um, I would say some word close to Novella. And um, uh, this was just part of the tree. It's part of my history. But, but I had to step back and you say, well, that, that's it? Yeah, it's got their, their sons and they've got, you know, the families they came from. And, but it really, except for the broad history, doesn't tell me much about our family. It doesn't tell me, it tells me perhaps in West Virginia where they were or Pennsylvania or that type of thing. But if I were to stand up here and to say even that I know Harry Newsom, Reverend Harry Newsom, because I've got a couple of his books on my shelf. He was a Methodist circuit pastor. I would be not telling the truth. I know about Harry Newsom, Reverend Harry Newsom, because that was told to me. I wished I could have known him, but he died before I could remember him. What's the point? Many of us would claim, whether it's through our time on our telephone, telephone, our iPhone, there we go, boy, that's old, telephone, what is a telephone? I don't know. Tell the news, maybe, I don't know. But we will claim online, we befriend someone, I know that person. Well, how well do you know that person? Through the screen. Or how well do you know someone at your workplace or at school. How well do you know? Hi. How much do you know of them? Is it possible that we do the same thing with the living God? We know even perhaps a lot about the book. We may even know many of the ones that are noted in the Word of God. But to know them, I've wondered if one day I would stand in heaven and uh, there's some characters that would come up to me and I would say, well, who are you? And he or she would say, you must not have read the book. (laughs) So tell me who you are. That's like being here at the Oaks. You think I might remember your name, finally, but graciously, you've shared your name. But that's all I have, your name. And isn't life more than knowing someone's name or just having information? Isn't on this New Year's Eve, wouldn't we want to know the living God in 2024 in a way that we have never known him. Now, for some, as Pastor Chris, 
and others in this room, the trials have marked this year. And we know something more about the character of God. Some of you may raise your fist and you're still angry at God because of 2024 or before. And you are at least speaking to the one who controls all things. But he knows our hearts and he knows his desire for us to know him fully. So today, as we open God's word, we're going to turn to a very familiar passage. I'm sure it's been taught many times here at the Oaks in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you'd turn there, please. I'll be using this morning the NAS. Uh, it's close to the ESV, and um, I am familiar with that, and I want to use that as the text that we'll use this morning to remind ourselves of the God's truth. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. We and I say that with reverence and awe because so many in our world, whether as Christians or not, fear coming to you, believing that you will shame us or you will give us another list of many things to do and already knowing that as we failed perhaps in 2023, we will fail in 2024. So we do not want to make false promises to you today. You're the living God. But more importantly, we want to discover once again the promises that you've made for us. Your intentional, your purpose, your power, your grace, your mercy, and help in time of need. We thank you, Lord Jesus, as you walked on this planet, you told not only your disciples, but those who would follow you, that we should get in your yoke and we should learn from you and walk with you because when we learn from you, we are humble and we are gentle and we will find rest for our soul. Oh, Lord, take us this morning from restlessness to rest. We ask this. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So, my brothers and sisters in Christ, as you may know, the Apostle Paul was the one that the Spirit of God worked in his heart to write this epistle, this letter. And in writing this letter, there are so many things that are in my mind because of my previous time with you this uh, fall when we talked about Paul writing uh, in Galatians, that I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this mortal body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, you may know in the book of Philippians that that is a backdrop where he talks about the realities of what, it, what had to happen for him to know Christ. And if you look at chapter 3, he 
begins to remind these believers and telling them in verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. This is, again, Philippians 3, 2. Beware of false circumcision. So three times, beware, beware, beware. Why? For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no what? What's your translation say? Look at that. No. In what? The flesh. Which brings us right back to I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who's going to live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, Paul, as he's unpacking in his own spirit through this text, and as he's writing and and he's giving his, his heart to the Lord, he now says, and it sounds like it's bragging, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, hold on for a moment, as for righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Now, that, my friends, is an incredible resume. But that incredible resume had actually kept the one who had been believing that he was pursuing God with passion and compassion, it led him to a place where he would now stand before one that he could not in any way find satisfaction in all of these things, his family heritage, Maybe he had a book of written down all of these things, and we've seen some of it here. And it was the Saul's relatives that went way back, and he could prove that, and he's doing that. But the reality is he now recognizes that that is keeping him from the prize, from the jewel from the reality of why Jesus Christ approached him and wanted to bring him into the fold of God. And so he then says in verse 7, but whatever things are gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than this, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, trash, waste, so that I may gain Christ. 
and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness which comes from God on the base, uh, basis of faith. Think about just what we have read and just the reality of we've gone from this star in Judaism, the one who in his education, in his family background, he had it all. If anyone was in, it was this man by the name of Saul. He was part of the Jewish community and a leader in the Jewish community, and yet all of his pursuits, including jailing Christians and even some of them being killed, and the disruption that he brought. But all of that was with the passion that I have the right mindset, I have the right family, and I am going the right direction, and I will, with passion, stand against this Christ. But then, as he is pursuing the passion, he comes to a place a fork in the road, as it were, and God himself now intercedes and he says now, this surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and I'm suffering all these things in verse 9, that I may be found in him having a righteousness, having a righteousness of my, not my own, derived from the law, but through faith in Christ that righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, don't miss this. That I might know what? Him. And the power of his and the fellowship of, did you note that? That I may know him. So the question that God has been putting in my heart for months, how well do you know Christ? How much information do you have? I had much from childhood. I was taken to church before I even knew it. I mentioned my grandfather. I probably sat under his teaching at some point or my grandmother's church. How much information do you need to know someone? We had a time of fellowship here where you asked some questions and you maybe heard someone's name. How much information to the person that you greeted or the person that greeted you, how much do you know about them? It doesn't say to know religion. It doesn't say to know a certain sect or to know a certain family or even a local body of believers, which this letter is being written to. It says that Paul would put aside everything that he has in the list of achievements, 
his educational process, his family process. In other words, that he had to put those things aside to know Christ. Are there things that you could say encumber you from knowing Christ? Knowing him. Sometimes, and I've gone through the word of God several times from Genesis to Revelation and then other sequences of the word of God, so did Saul. He was a Pharisee, a student of the Old Testament scriptures. He was a master at it. But he did not know Christ. He was an adherent to the law, the Mosaic law. And he didn't brag. He's just admitting that his chips were landing on, I am a good follower of Jehovah. I am have got it down pat. I know about the Sabbath. I know about circumcision. I know all of those things. But the reality was he didn't know Christ. And so all of my reading, many times I pause after I read and I say, do I know anything more? I might be intellectually stirred. But has anything moved my emotion? Sometimes, Tammy and I love to see great movies. And I, and I sit there at times and I become emotional. It could be something that, as a man, yes, finally, vengeance. And I'm emotional about that. Or the other side of that, it's not Hallmark, but there's something in one of those movies that I begin to weep. I emote. Does the word of God emote in you, the child of God? Like an impassioned athlete or an impassioned person who is cheering on the team, is there something in you that stirs as you open the word of God faithfully, not so that you can have intellectual knowledge about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but is there something that burns in you? Turn to Luke's gospel. I want you to see one place as an example of that in Luke chapter 24. You will note that this is after the resurrection, and you will note that we're in the text about the disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes along, the resurrected Lord, in Luke 24, 13, they were walking along, Jesus joined them, and they began this conversation concerning Christ himself. And then, if you'll notice, in verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he, speaking of Christ, who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also, <laughs> there were some women with us, amazed us, when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they didn't find his body. They, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and, and found it just exactly as the women had said. And he said, and, but him, they, they did not see, verse 25. And he said to them, oh, foolish, who's speaking? Jesus says. I think there's many times that I have information about our great God, but he would say to me, Rick, you're foolish. You're a foolish man. You are slow of heart to believe. Could that be us? At times, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Now, notice in verse 27, beginning with Moses, the beginning of the word of God, and all the prophets he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Underline that. Make a note of that. The writings of Moses, the writings of the prophets, the writings of King David and others throughout the word of God, the purpose of the scriptures are to reveal Christ to us, old and new. So the question that God has been asking me over and over as I underline, I mark, I draw lines in my Bible. I don't know that you do that. Dan saw my Bible one day and thought, what in the world have you done to your Bible? All of that means nothing if I don't somehow know Christ in a deeper way. It's information. It's religious, and it can lead to self-righteousness that is by the flesh, not by faith in the Son of God. So the question, as Paul now has put aside, and he says, all of my heritage that kept me, in some sense, from Christ, all of my learning, to some degree, kept me from knowing the Christ, all that I did in persecution and passion to those that I thought were opposing the Messiah, and now finally, oh, he finds that he had his ladder on the wrong law, wall. He was hopelessly lost and on the road to Damascus as Jesus confronted him. He learned something else that God had done to confront him. You see, in this very text back in Colossians, it says that I might know him 
and the power of his resurrection to him, meaning Saul, Jesus was a dead myth. He was a lifeless prophet, perhaps. He was a miserable failure that had only lived to lead astray a multitude of people. So to know Christ means that it's not just that, as Paul says in Colossians, to know him, the power of his resurrection. So my second question to myself and to you, are you experiencing resurrection? Are you experiencing in your life, in your person, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Well, you say, well, Rick, what would that look like? Well, it would look like that your life went from death to life. Every person in this room went from their mother's womb to what we call physical life. Even though the journey nine months or something like that before had been in the womb in the conception that only God can do, amen? And that as he conceives that child and brings that life of this man and this woman together, out of that comes life and out of that comes a baby that has no clue what's going on for several months and years. Jesus told a learned man like Saul in John's gospel that, you know, if you really, what you really need, Nicodemus, is you need to be born again. My friends, one of the deep concerns that I've had as a pastor as I look, look out or I have looked out on the congregation that God has allowed me to be a part of and, and to be teaching at times, I have been concerned that the body of Christ that is sitting before me, some have never experienced the resurrection of Christ in their lives. They're waiting for a day that there's a tombstone that's placed over them and we celebrate and we say one day they will have new life. My friends, Paul wasn't talking about a resurrection of the future. He was talking about a resurrection that he writes about in Colossians that says that you are moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. My friends, I was fortunate enough to play in the NFL. I was traded from the Rams to the Packers suddenly. And if I've told you this story, I'm 71. Leave me alone, right? I was traded suddenly, overnight. I left my wife, Tammy, and I left our daughter, and, and, we, and I went to Green Bay and Within weeks of that event, I am now standing back in the same stadium in California 
where I was cheered for as I came out by the fans of the LA Rams, but now running out with a different uniform, a different helmet, different coaches, I am now being booed. What happened? I'm no longer on that team. I'm no longer with those coaches. They are no longer the voices I listen to to run my life as a football player, to identify what plays I should run at the correct time and moment. And so I could look across the field in the Coliseum. I could see my old coaches. I could see the players I had played with. But I would turn this way to stand and to hear from my coach, Bart Starr, and I could hear what he wanted and the other coaches wanted of me. I wasn't running those plays anymore. I was running these plays. My friends, my brothers, whose plays are you running? Are you becoming the woman who was headed this way and realized that true life in Christ meant heading this way? The man that was headed this way and perhaps like me to destruction is now turned and I have turned to a new coach, the living Christ. Well, wait a minute, I need to get my plays over here still. No, 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 that's the flesh. It's appealing. It brings to me to a place of, oh, yes, I remember that moment. But then I turn back, wait a minute, the jersey I have on, what I wear as the armor of God to stand firm against this. What was my team is now my opponent. And my friends, when you turn from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, you are now in war because your father before was the devil and he applauded all of the fleshly moves that you made. All of those plays, all of your own desires, everything that you wanted, just go for it. Just like the Garden of Eden. You can be God. Choose your own course. So the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, I gave away all of that to know one person, that person is Christ. To be found in him with a righteousness that comes from him by faith, not in my achievements, my religious achievements. Oh, my friends, it is such a sad path because I lived it. I was a great legalist. It is such a sad path to live a life. It is so frustrating to live in the flesh and try to fulfill the law. It's killer. 
And the Christ is calling us and saying, come on, come on. You're on my team now, and I have given you amazing things that will empower you. So I want you to experience my resurrection power now. Present tense, today, now. I do not want you to ever live in the past. I have put that to the cross and to the grave, and I am calling you to my team, my team, my team. I put my name on you, child of God. My son claims you. I choose you. Have you experienced new birth? Or are you in religious behavior that has no power? So as Paul begins to come to this place where he's already seen what Christ did in coming and gave up so that he could come in relationship. He says, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh. You know, I sort of like A and B. I don't like C. Anybody want to vote with me on that? I, I, boy, I want the resurrection power. In my own sin, even in my Christian life, oh, oh Lord, I, I cannot overcome this, and I cry out to God, and you've heard that story. And the reality is, he saved me. He gave me himself. Jesus Christ, through his spirit, lives in Rick Newsom, as ugly as I might be in my flesh. And he is calling me to the team. He's calling me to this again and again and again. But then he says, oh, you know what? I'm going to sign up for the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to suggest to you, and I mean this with the deepest respect, your pastor is not the same. His wife is not the same. Why? Why? Because to whatever degree this physical event has interrupted their lives, they will never be the same. And he's praying that we won't. Why? We don't know. Is this the enemy attacking the shepherd of the sheep? The under-shepherd? Like Jesus? We don't know. Is it just the human journey? We don't know. What we do know is we have been invited on the field as players in this great drama. We are writing chapters ourselves while Chris and Lindsay are writing their chapters what would be written in the chapter of your book and our book during this time? I don't think Paul was thinking about that specifically. 
I'll tell you what I think he was thinking about. I can't prove this, but would you go on the journey with me? The Apostle Paul, according to the book of Acts, one day was in a gathering. There was a man who was born of the Spirit. Christ was radiant in him. And he had just given a magnificent message. His name was Stephen. Stephen stood for Christ. He patterned, if you want to read that, he patterned in in Acts 7, I believe. He patterned that sequence of Israel coming from Egypt and all the way and how they denied the prophets and now finally they had denied the Christ. And he stood with these leaders, these noted theologians, and the only response they could have is we must kill this Christ follower. Oh, it just happened that over here where the coats were thrown down so they could pick up the stones to stone him to death, it just happened that in that place there was a young man. And what was his name? Saul. In Acts 22, as Saul has been converted, Saul, now Paul, is bearing witness himself. This is after the fact that he was stoned himself. Can you imagine? You watched a stoning, and you watched a man of God look into heaven and receive me. And the Lord was standing. And here's Saul. Don't blame them as he's being stoned. And so in Acts chapter 22, he is giving his testament to those who now have him on trial. And he says this, listen, verse 20. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who slayed him. And out of that death, the very next phrase from the Apostle Paul is, and he, Jesus, said, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I can't prove it, my friends, but I believe that Saul was profoundly challenged By the death of Stephen, the power, the resurrected power that he saw in Stephen, that he didn't know about God informationally. He knew the living God as he looked to heaven. And God the Son, in the answer to that prayer, God seeing Saul confronted him on the road to Damascus. And so when he was struck down, 
with a blazing light, he said, Saul, Saul, listen, Jesus is speaking. Why are you persecuting me, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ? I'm just living the confession of may this 2024 year be a year where we experience him and the power of his resurrection. Yes, and the fellowship of his sufferings. May we then stand with him, no matter what the suffering is. Would we be willing to exchange religion for relationship with Christ, to know him? Would we be willing to exchange personal achievement for Christ's powerful presence? Would you be willing to exchange the passing pleasures of this ungodly world which baits us with the flesh and Satan's desires? Would you exchange the pleasures of this for Christ's eternal purpose and reward? As best I know, that summary is what God is calling us to. Most of us have more information than we will ever apply to our lives. Has Christ transformed your life? Inside out, have you experienced his powerful resurrection? Or are you still trying as hard as you can to be a good Christian? You're not a good Christian. You're a good sinner and maybe a self-righteous one. But you're not a good person and neither am I. Jesus died for sinners. He came for sinners. And that means you and I qualify. Will you Turn to Christ. Turn away from all of that, whether it's the best things the world have or the worst things, and give your life to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. When you do that, you are signing up. No longer religion, relationship. No longer personal achievement, but Christ's powerful presence. And no longer the passing pleasures of this world, but the eternal purpose of and reward of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, oh God, to know that, Father, you would send the Son of God into this world For each person in this room, you know them by name. You crafted them in their mother's womb. And you want to put your name upon them. And I pray today, Spirit of God, that you will convict and convince that we are sinners in need of a Savior. May in the quietness of this person's heart right now. They know that you are speaking and you are calling 
and you're asking and pleading with them to turn from the old life to you. May they not hang on to their religious behavior or the things that they would think they could present before you as a good person. Or may they not be shamed into, well, God would never accept me. Oh, Lord God, you came to prove just the opposite. You are merciful to sinners. If you're that person today, and God the Spirit is tugging on you, and you may be 84, or you may be 8, or before, and you know that the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you need to give your life to Jesus. Would you do that right now? Just simply, Jesus, I know you died for my sins. I know you died for me. I am claiming your forgiveness. I am a sinner. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for all of my sins. I no longer want my life to be led by my own desires. I desire a life, even if it's forged in adversity or suffering, to bear the power and fragrance of you, Lord Jesus. Take me from that team I've been on and place me in your son's kingdom of light and blessing. Thank you, Lord. You've never lied. You never will. I give you my life in exchange for all that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I want you to know that perhaps today you made that decision, or maybe you weren't sure if you'd ever really given your life to Christ that way. And I challenge you to make sure that if you did, to see Sean or others, your family, we want to celebrate that truth with you. And to join the Apostle Paul on Christ's team. Seth mentioned to us, dwell. I love that statement, by the way. That app, dwell. You know why? Because the one dwelling in heaven came to dwell among men. And he wants to meet you and I every day. If it's just a verse, every day he wants to meet us personally and practically for his glory.